So before I look at uh, an interesting topic, raising the strong-willed child, let's uh, ask the Lord's help. Gracious Lord, as we focus upon uh, our second message on parenting here, we pray that you would teach us something that we need to know and that you would give us the power of your spirit to live it out. Amen. Back in the 70s, yes, young'uns, I remember the 70s and the 60s and not much of the 50s, <laughs> I was attending Riverton Baptist Church and I was studying at the West Australian Institute of Technology, now known as Curtin Uni, and the church conducted a series of parenting videos that were presented by a Dr James Dobson, a guy who started off an organisation to focus on the family, uh, still around, and uh, their stuff is often on Vision FM. And uh, I took this guy's teachings to heart and I found them very effective in bringing up my own kids because they certainly worked. And one of those sections was uh, raising the strong-willed child. Now, it's obviously many years later and he's updated his work and since then he's interviewed some 35,000 parents about raising strong-willed children. So he's uh, checked out whether what he thought and sensed in himself was good and right and indeed he's found now he's got bucket loads of evidence to support what he sensed was true. So, strong-willed child. At the time, Dobson theorised that many of those people who were writing books about how to raise your kids were ignoring the fact that some kids were harder to raise than others. Do I have an amen on that? Yeah, I see some shaking heads going there. Some kids are harder to raise than others. And some children are just interested in pushing back against authority from the get-go. So why is this so? Why do parenting people ignore this fact? Now, the world specialists, the clever people. And I think if we want to find an answer to why they ignore that fact, we've got to get theological. And we've got to go back to the Garden of Eden. And we've got to go back to the fatal flaw of Adam and Eve when they made a rebellious choice. A rebellious choice. They listened to some bad advice. Yep. And they looked at what they could see in front of them and they decided they could take matters into their own hands. They could decide for themselves. They didn't, some, they didn't need someone to tell them it's not a good idea to eat that perfectly delectable looking fruit because they could see that it was good and it tasted good and they went with it. And on the basis of their limited understanding, their limited information, their limited awareness, because they couldn't see what God could see, on the basis of what they could see, they acted. And then they were stuck with the results, weren't they? They had an increased awareness of good and bad, of right and wrong, and they knew straight away that they had done wrong. And so... What do you do when, you, when you've done something wrong? The immediate need is they needed a cover-up. And for the first time in their lives, they also realised they were not innocent. 
and their cover-up, you know, fig leaves, a futile attempt to save face, then they had to produce a cover story, which include blaming other people. The devil made me do it. Well, he did, in a sense. But for us, it's obvious that although the devil suggested stuff, it was still Adam and Eve who actually did it. And so, friends, blaming anyone or anything else for your problems, which is playing the victim, I'm the victim here, and which is denying your personal responsibility for where your life is now, that tendency to do that started right back here in the Garden of Eden. And we can say biblically that we and our children have inherited that, the same rebellious tendencies, don't we? We ignore the words of God. We listen to the current bad advice of the day, which is just Satan's heresies redesigned into this age's popular fashion. And we make decisions based only on the knowledge that we have and what we can see in front of us instead of what God says in the word of God. And when we do that, then we have to go into the cover-up. And then we have to build a cover story. And then we have to just try and survive the results of our own bad decisions. And so it really means that humankind has been trying to deny that it has a problem ever since then. It's been trying to assert that it's fundamentally good. And it's been making decisions out of its own intellect and intelligence and leaving God out of the equation. And humankind has been trying to claim that deep down people are fundamentally good and noble ever since then. But in order to say that we're all good without God, humankind has been ignoring the obvious. It's been ignoring crime. It's been ignoring poverty. It's been ignoring starvation. It's been ignoring wars and rumours of wars and politicking and revolution and deceit and lying and the degradation of women and children, of drugs and immorality and pride. So when it comes to what we listen to of what we're told from the world, for example, the way the education department wants to raise our kids, the things they teach in teachers' college, the sort of things that secular parenting people are saying, the way we should parent our kids, we still have to ask a fundamental question. Does their advice accord with the Bible? Is it God-centred or is it just man-centred? And how does it deal with this fundamental question which is raised by the issue of the strong-willed child and that's the issue of rebellion. The strong-willed child shows us what rebellion means, doesn't he? So we're going to look at a few verses just to pick up that notion of rebellion. Because you see, rebellion affects your progeny, that's your kids and their kids. It affects them. We see from Numbers, the Lord is slow to anger and he's abounding in love and he forgives sin and rebellion, hallelujah, through Jesus. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Affects the kids. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. That's the Old Testament situation. Thank God for the New Testament. Rebellion also, what does it do? It opposes God's holiness. 
and it offends his desire for an exclusive relationship with you. You see, he doesn't want us loving anyone other than him. He gets jealous when our attention wanders from loving him and he considers it to be rebellion. In Joshua 24:19, Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. Never forget, God is jealous for your company and your attention. And he will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. That was what Joshua was saying at that time to the Israelis. And we can also notice about rebellion how toxic it is. Samuel, speaking to Saul, said, For rebellion is like the sin of divination, which is sort of the occultic practices. And arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And at that time, it didn't seem like he was rejecting the Lord. He was just looking at what was in front of him, making his own decision, not taking God's instructions into account. Interesting thing about rebellion is there can be physiological effects. There are physiological effects of rebelling against God. There's a wasting away, and we see that in Psalm 106, verse 43. Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion, and here's the consequence. They wasted away in their sin. And people know they've done something wrong, and they just don't feel so good in their spirit. And then there's a connection with evildoers through rebellion. Hanging around with people who have no time for God, is thinking as man said it is not good. Let's see that in Proverbs 17:11. Evildoers foster rebellion against God. So the evildoers foster it. Who you hang around with fosters rebellion. And the messenger of death will be sent against them. And this is, this is very much to the heart of uh, a strong-willed child. Notice how much people will put up with in order to stay rebellious, to stay in charge of their own life, to be able to do it my way. Because they'll take punishment, they'll take injury, both physical injury, they'll take emotional energy in order to stay as their own boss. And we see in Isaiah 1.5, why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? See the result? Your whole head's injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. And when it comes to raising a strong-willed child then, are we going to ignore the issue of rebellion? or see what God says about it. I'm going to go into some real-life descriptions of what I'm talking about, which are taken from actual interviews between James Dobson and some parents. In this interview, Dobson says to Joy, he says, how soon after your daughter was born did you know she was going to be hard to handle? Well, Joy says, I think she slept through the night around 15 months and then at 18 months old you could tell her no and she'd fall on the floor, throw a fit and roll around. And we'd sit and watch her for a while because we weren't going to give in because we were going to be strong. 
And she would stand up after a while, and she'd have that beautiful angelic face, and she'd say, oh, I'm sorry. And she'd come over and lay her head on my lap, and then she'd bite me. And that was the first clue <laughs> that it was a manipulation, because she made sure that you weren't worried about what she was going to do, and then she would bite. She was very, very tough. Then there's Kristen and Lizzie. Kristen's the mum. And Kristen says, the biggest fight happened when she was five. I'd been homeschooling the kids and Liz decided she wasn't getting enough attention one day, so I pulled her up on the lap. While she was sitting on my lap and still trying to teach, she started kicking me with one of her legs. Well, I put my leg between her legs so she couldn't kick me anymore. Then she started kicking with the other leg. And I put my legs between both legs and then she started pinching and scratching. And we ended up on the floor. She was actually spread-eagled on the floor. I was holding her down so she wouldn't hurt me or try to do damage. And she was screaming, let go of me, let go of me. And I was saying, we're here until you calm down. And she'd quit crying and I'd start to pray. And she'd immediately start to scream again, don't pray for me. And we'd start again. It turned out to be a 45-minute battle. So... In this interview, that kid Liz was present, and so Dobson says, Liz, do you remember that? And Liz says, I remember several times when I would just argue and end up on the floor with mother on top of me, and I was thinking, what do you think she's thinking? She's thinking, who's going to win? And so it went on and on. I mean, it seemed like hours sometimes. And Dobson says to Liz, he said, do you remember how you felt during those battles? And Liz, the little kid, says, I was determined to win. My pride got in there too, you know. I believed I was stronger than mum, and it was all about being rebellious and getting my own way. So Dobson, talking back, stepping back a moment now, says, well, I've been witnessing conflicts of this sort within families for the past 30 years. And what Liz said about her determination to win over her mother goes right to the heart of what these little revolutionaries are after. Standing up to a big powerful adult is supposed, who is supposed to be in charge is fun for them. And the winner of the game, as every strong-willed child knows, the winner is whoever comes out on top or whoever makes the other one cry. And quiet conversations and gentle explanations just don't work. So there's a note here for parents who are not like that, who never fought their own parents. They love to please their parents. And this lady Deborah is one of them. She says, I believe firmly that strong-willed children love conflict. They love the battle and I don't love the battle. It was a very difficult experience for me because I'm not strong-willed. And Dobson backs that up in his survey of those 35,000 parents. He says, one of the things we observed was the tremendous agitation that occurs when a compliant, a loving mother who would never have dreamed of disobeying her kids gives birth to a kid whose greatest thrill comes out of fighting with his mother. So I commend you this book, which is now the new 
strong-willed child book. It's an e-book. You can get it. You can get it on normal paper if you want to. If you want to take this issue more, there's some really good stuff in there. But let me give you some encouragement from one of those strong-willed children, Liz. Liz said, I do want to say one thing about strong-willed children like me. God has this amazing way of saying, I want you and I want you to be strong-willed for me. The Apostle Paul, for me, is a classic example of this. A strong-willed person who turned around and became strong-willed for Jesus. And back to Liz and Liz says, and instead of being rebellious and disobedient, he wants us strong-willed for him. Dobson asked Liz, he said, do you remember actually having those thoughts? And Liz says, oh, absolutely. I went out with a bunch of my friends and I was being stupid. And I'd come home and then I just sat down and I just felt the presence of God. And I looked at myself and I was thinking, my life's been pointless. I've spent all of my life being strong-willed and wanting to win every battle. And then God just grabbed me. It was though he said, leave it behind, Liz. You know, leave it behind. And Dobson asked the mum, Kristen, Kristen, you were praying for Liz at that time, weren't you? And Kristen says, oh, yes, we all prayed as a family. Her grandparents, they've been faithful prayer partners. Rich and I pray continually for her, everyone we know. Well, we haven't hidden the fact that she's a strong-willed child, so it's not necessarily an uncommon topic of conversation amongst people whom I've dealt with. So, yes, we've had many people praying as well, and I'm really blessed by the fact that I've seen what God can do and I still have time with my daughter to build a relationship that every parent wants. And so I do cry when I think about that. And another mum, Deb, says, well, I had a similar experience last summer. Kristen had just gone crazy. I listened to her scream at me until 2 a.m. for no reason. And all of a sudden, it was like the Holy Spirit came over, over her and she started repeating things that I would have said to her if I'd been talking. And then she said, Mum, I will fight a battle all the way because I want to win. But she said, don't ever be scared to put boundaries in my way because I need rules. I need boundaries. And I respect everything you've done. And then she went on, she said, I know who I am in God. And I know that I will make right choices. And she said, oh, I've had a bad year, yes. I'm, I'm going to change this next year. And she has. She's a different person this year. She said, you've trained me well. You gave me the stability of a Christian school, or a church, a Christian family. And she said, I will choose wisely. And I want to live my life because you have modelled it for me with Jesus. And so what's Dobson's overall advice to parents who bring one of these tough youngsters into the world? They need to recognise that whilst raising that child may be difficult for a time, it's worth their effort to do the job right. And the attitude should be, the Lord gave me this challenging child for a purpose. He wants me to mould and shape this youngster and prepare him or her for a life of service to him. 
and I'm up to the task and I'm going to make it with the Lord's help. And that's the healthy way of looking at parenting when the pressure is on. Good sign of hope. The research indicates that most strong-willed children tend to come around once they've got through adolescence and are into their early 20s. There's a really big drop-off. Kids do grow up. Amen. <laughs> and you'll find out later that the values and principles that you tried so hard to instill were actually were going inside and they were sticking. And it may be that your difficult kids will be your best friends. Uh, one of the mums says we were at home one day and Dana, the strong-willed child, was at home and Dana said, why did you never give up on me? And the mum said, because you're a treasure. God gave you to us. I could never have given up on you. She said, a lot of people would. And I said, not if they believed in the power of God and the power of prayer. Because I wasn't sure how it was going to be, but I always believed that you would come back. I had tremendous hope and faith. So Dobson asked this lady, Deborah, what advice do you have for the mother out there today is experiencing what you were feeling when your kids were small. And Deb says, well, what I think I'm going to do is quote your book. I think it was page 24 of The Strong-Willed Child. You, you said, in effect, pick your battles, win decisively, take two aspirin and call me in the morning. So let's come back to our starting positions. I maintain that any parenting strategy which does not take into consideration the issue of rebellion does not prepare for every eventuality. And I'm not saying that every day we're facing rebellion in children and if your basic strategy is about preparing for war then you're missing the point of raising a kid. However, when those times when you've drawn a line on the floor as a boundary and the kid walks up to that line deliberately puts a foot over the line, looks you in the eyes and said, what are you going to do about it? Then you need to have a strategy ready. And that's a battle that you will win decisively. That being said, most of the time your parenting strategy should be about building a wonderful relationship with your child so that they become so attached to you that they just want to please you. You are their best friend, their best uh, model, and you apprentice them to you and you let them help you and you listen to their input and their suggestions and you put better ideas into the, the, the things they say and you lead them in wonderful training experiences. You sell positively the joys of having an organised room, of having clean clothes, of having nice smelling bodies. Uh, and you do things together where you talk with one another about real life and so on. But amongst it all, you never forget that kids are just kids. They're not adults yet. They're in training. But they do need to respect you. And most of them need to be taught that they need to respect you. And they need to find out that you are not a pushover, that you are stronger than them, and that you do this for their benefit, not theirs, and you do it out of godly values. 
because they do need to obey their parents and we just remind ourselves of that from scripture Ephesians 6 1 children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right honor your father and mother and that goes for us as parents to honor our father and mother which is the first commandment with the promise so that it may go well for you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth and let's not remember, not forget Proverbs 29:15 the rod and reproof give wisdom but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother do your kids get their own way if they do eventually it brings shame to the mother One, the new american standard version of that is child that's left to himself shames his mother and let's not let the kids figure it out themselves let's lead in the home we do need to do that for we know ourselves don't we we know that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond all cure and who can understand it we have trouble understanding ourselves and we know we struggle also with this Romans seven eighteen. for I know the good that does not dwell in me I'm oh, sorry no the good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature for I have the desire to do what is good but I can't carry it out we know that it's for us it's for the kids but there is an answer to this important question in parenting those who heard this asked Jesus who then can be saved Luke 18 verse 26 can the kids be saved can we be saved well Jesus this is our answer this morning Jesus replied what is impossible with man is possible with God we can all raise a strong-willed child if the Lord gives us one if we rely upon the Lord every step of the way let's pray gracious Lord we know that we all struggle with rebellion against your ways so help us to be diligent students of both your word and our children and to derive great confidence from your statement that what's impossible with man is possible with God and let our first port of call, let our constant abiding port of call be in you. Let us invite your Holy Spirit into our parenting to guide our thinking, to grant us the power we need, to bless us with the long-range vision which enables you to trust in your ways, in your word, in your people, and to trust that what's impossible with man is possible with God. Amen.